You may be seated. Today's scripture readings, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, and now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of, crooked, of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that it might be an open book to us. Lord, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Lord, we want to be people who are changed by an encounter with you through the words you have inspired. Lord, we ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you grew up like I did in small town, Alabama, at some point in your high school career, a well-meaning English teacher required you to memorize a poem or two. Is, is that your experience as well? Every junior in Sylacauga High School, perhaps going back 100 years, was required to memorize the prologue to the Canterbury Tales in Middle English. I can see one excited face here. Did you have to do that as well? One that April with its shower soute, the drought of March hath pierced it to the rute, and bathed in every vein in sweet liqueur. And it goes on and on like that. Uh, I think the main thing we learned through that whole ordeal is that there is a deep kinship to be found in suffering <laughs> through something in common together. Uh, to this day, I feel an instant connection with anyone who was forced to memorize the same gibberish that I was forced to memorize in high school, right? Yes, I see an amen out there. Uh, after all, what is friendship built on except for this, oh, you too, <laughs> you too, you had to do this too, you, you experienced this as well. Another poem that I was made to memorize was Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. That's, that's much easier than Middle English, isn't it? Uh, perhaps you had to memorize that one as well. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. That has made all the difference. In our passage today, Paul gives us a glimpse of the road less traveled. It's a less obvious road. It's a narrow road. But following this road is the one true path to joy. And sadly, for most people, it remains for them the road not taken. You can see why in verses 17 and 18. Look at verse 17 and 18. This road involves sacrifice and service. Verse 17 
But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul understands here what most everyone else gets wrong. We naturally assume that the pathway to joy is paved with consumable things. I just need to own the right stuff. I need the right toys. I need these experiences. I need to be a consumer of the right products in order to find what really satisfies in this life. This is what most people naturally assume. This is what most people naturally think. And the entire advertising industry is built upon people thinking this way. Watch nearly any commercial and you'll find this message. Real contentment comes through consuming. Comes through this product. Through draining all the goodness and pleasure out of something. But what if the opposite is true? What if the pathway to joy isn't Drinking in, but pouring out. It isn't found in self-absorption, but in self-sacrifice. Paul says here, If I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I what? I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Paul has found real joy in a place where most people don't even think to look for it. In a life poured out in service of others. In finding this path, Paul is most certainly following Jesus, isn't he? Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, pouring out his life, as a sacrifice for others. Where the two roads diverge in a yellow wood, perhaps, Jesus stands there at the crossroads and he points down the road not taken. He says to Paul and he says to you, follow me down the road less traveled. Take up your cross, dying daily to yourself, And you will find life abundant. And my joy will be in you. Some people, I think, eventually figure this thing out. They figured it out on their own that a life of sacrificial service makes them happier than a self-centered life. But if they miss out on Jesus, they've missed the real turn off, haven't they? They've missed the real path. The life poured out in following Jesus is the true path to joy. It's, that's the central truth I want us to see this morning that we're drawing out of verses 17 and 18. The life poured out for Jesus is the real road to rejoicing. Everyone see that? Hopefully you do, because for the rest of our time, I want to flesh out what that means. What what does that kind of life look like? 
a life poured out for Jesus? What does that look like? What does it look like to have your life poured out following the Savior? In order to put more flesh on what that means, we need to go back to the beginning of our passage in verse 12. If the pathway to joy looks like pouring yourself out, what does that mean for you? Verse 12 says it means hard work. Hard work. Look at verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 12 says, pouring out your life for Jesus means hard work. To which you say, big surprise, right? Big surprise. Pouring out yourself sounds like hard work. Sounds like it's going to be hard work. It sounds like a lot of effort is involved in that. It sounds like there will be blood, sweat, and tears shed. It sounds like the coach is exhorting you to leave it all on the field. That's what it sounds like. And experientially, that's what it often feels like. Pouring out your life for Jesus can often feel like tough going, tough sledding. There can be real hard times of soul searching, difficult times of feeling stretched, cuts and bruises from being pruned so that you might be even more fruitful. Choosing to obey Jesus when it's costly to do so, that's hard. When there is a real relational or emotional price to pay. When obedience means sticking it out through a storm. Pouring out your life is hard work. It's meant to be hard work. Make no mistake about it. That's why it is the road less traveled. The, the lazy joy seeker hides his life un, light under a basket and buries her talent in the ground. But the hardworking pursuer of joy, often with great fear and trembling, holds up the light against the darkness, both in his own heart and in the world around him. The hard worker pursuer of joy doesn't bury her talent in the ground, but she improves upon it. She invests it after much effort, bears fruit with it. And the end result, Jesus says, is his commendation. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into what? The joy of your master. If pouring yourself out for Jesus feels like hard work in the moment, remember that it comes with a retirement plan that is out of this world. Enter into the joy of your master. And remember this, that a, a sense of that incredible joy that is coming ought to sweeten the bitter things now and soften the hard things that we experience as we anticipate that great joy that is coming. Remember Paul says that these presentary, presentary, is that a word? These present moment 
Momentary, that's the word. These present momentary light afflictions are producing for me what? A weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. You can't even begin to compare the things I'm suffering now with how great the result will be in the kingdom that is coming. It's like we are out working in the yard on a hot day. And faith is continually bringing us cups of ice-cold lemonade to drink. Saying to us, here's just a foretaste. Be refreshed by this now, knowing that real joy is coming at journey's end. At the end of the work, at the end of the day, real joy is coming. We really shouldn't be surprised by verse 12 that pouring ourselves out for Jesus will often feel like hard work. The surprising bit is actually the next verse. Look, look with me. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's the surprise. It feels like you're working. But realize this, Christian, it is really God who is at work in you. He is doing the real work. He is doing the heavy lifting so that your every bit of effort, your every drop of sweat, your every forward step of progress, none of them are exclusively your own that you can boast in. All of these require the grace of God empowering them if they are to mean anything. Remember that Jesus told us it would be this way. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Nothing of any eternal value can we accomplish independently of God. Nothing. So, what does pouring your life out look like? If verse 12 says it looks like hard work, then verse 13 says it looks like utter dependence upon God. It looks like living in such a way that we recognize our reliance upon Jesus for every single good thing we do. We give Christ credit for our every victory over temptation. It's him in us. Our every taking every wayward thought captive. That's Christ in us. For every generous impulse to mercy, Jesus gets the glory. Why? Because it's really his grace at work in us. Not our own natural resources that wins the day. A life poured out must be lived with complete reliance on Jesus. I hope you know that. I hope you feel that to be true. Because if you don't, God has a way to make you feel that, doesn't he? We must rely upon him. A life poured out must be lived in complete dependence upon Jesus. If it's not, something else will happen. You know what's going to happen? Pride comes a-knocking. Pride begins to swell whenever we think we've done something all on our own. Just look at all my effort. Pride says, look at all my hard work for the Lord. Look at my cleverness and my giftedness in serving God. 
And pride, I'll tell you, is quick to take offense when people don't notice just how much you've done. But when we connect everything we do with the empowering work of God's grace, then pride does not have a leg to stand on in our lives. I've worked hard, yes, but it really hasn't been me. It's been the grace of God within me. Doesn't Paul say that? I work harder, yes, but yet not I. It is God's grace at work in me. Only Christians can know this happy dynamic. Working hard while completely relying upon God. Having hard work cultivating humility in our hearts and a sense of dependence instead of it growing our pride and a sense of independence. This happens when we do our work recognizing that it is really God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what does a life poured out look like? It looks like hard work, verse 12, with complete dependence upon God, verse 13, and not grumbling or disputing. Verse 14, look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Nothing kills joy so fast as grumbling. Any parent knows that, right? Parents in the room, you know that. Lynn just got back from a trip to Alaska with her parents, and they saw a lot of incredible sights, spectacular sights, mountain glaciers going right down to the heart of the sea. But I had to laugh because in one of those all-inspiring videos that she shared, you could overhear a mother and child in the background. In the midst of all the beauty of the glaciers, the child is grumbling. And you can hear the mother saying, I figured you complain about this. I, I don't know what the child was complaining about, but the child's murmuring clearly sucked all the joy out of the moment for the mother. Because grumbling is the weapon of a joy vampire, isn't it? Employed to suck joy out of others, and it is the natural enemy of a life poured out. Grumbling steals joy, where a life poured out cultivates joy. Grumbling also makes a statement. Did you know this? Grumbling says something. It makes a statement. It says... God doesn't know best when we grumble. That's what we're saying. God doesn't know best. He doesn't have this under control. Remember the Israelites murmured and complained even as they encountered miracles on a daily basis during the Exodus. You remember this? God knew exactly what was going on in their murmuring and grumbling he knew that every grumble was really an accusation against his goodness, an affront to his provision. Every grumble was a vote of no confidence in his plan. When God condemned the Exodus generation for grumbling, he condemned grumbling for all time. <laughs> what God condemned in them, he will also condemn in us, the church. Grumbling should have no place among us. It kills joy. 
but joy also kills it. Have you noticed this? Think about it. Do you find yourself prone to complain and have a go at people? What you wouldn't if you were wrapped up in enjoying Jesus, would you? The two things can't coexist at the same time in the same person. You can't be caught up in joy and relish that chip on your shoulder at the same time. It's not possible. Because joy is calling you out of yourself to forget yourself. Discontent is just the opposite. It's calling you to be self-absorbed, to be absorbed with yourself. Grumbling and having to have things your own way is symptomatic of a life focused on yourself. Therefore, verse 14 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And this will be the result, verse 15, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Here is another mark of the life poured out for Jesus. It stands out in contrast to the world. Do you see how this passage is building to that? When you work hard, verse 12, with total reliance on God, verse 13, and do so without grumbling or disputing, verse 14, then you will stand out like lights in the world, verse 15. This is how the exiles were supposed to live in Babylon. Remember our Old Testament reading from earlier in the service? I told you we were going to come back to it, and we are. Here is how the exiles were supposed to live. They were supposed to do a lot of normal things. They were supposed to build houses and plant gardens and eat and drink and get married and have children and celebrate their children's weddings and enjoy their grandchildren and seek the welfare of the city they're in. All very normal things, right? But they were called to do those things in a way that stood out in contrast to the world around them. They were to work hard, but with complete reliance upon God. They were to eat and drink, but with thankfulness in their hearts to the giver of every good thing. They were to marry, but to use their families as an expansion of God's kingdom. They were to seek the good of the city, but primarily as seekers of God, from whom all blessings flow. They were to engage in the normal things of life, but not normally. The way they engaged in the normal things of life showed that they were not normal people. They were really citizens of heaven, children of God. This is the way it should be for us as well, right? We also engage in the very normal parts of life. Building homes, planting gardens, starting families, caring for our communities. But the way we do these normal things ought to be different from the rest of the world around us. 
because the heart behind it all is so very different. We are pouring ourselves out as an act of worship in all these things. Where others take the same things, their work, their home, their family, and they try to suck all the meaning they can out of them. In contrast, we are pouring meaning into all these things by connecting them back to Jesus. Our work, we don't do it to suck out validation for ourselves from it, but we do it to please our God and King. Our homes, we don't make into our private castles, but we steward them as hubs for Christ's mission. Our families... We don't make them our sinners of meaning, but our sinners for ministry. It's the difference between a life poured out and a life of pulling things in. Between a life of self-forgetting and a life self-absorbed. This doesn't come naturally, does it? It's not our, it's not our default setting. This doesn't come naturally naturally. And that's why it's the road less traveled. This road calls for hard work, verse 12. Reliance upon God, verse 13. Controlling one's tongue, verse 14. Contrasting with the world, verse 15. And, verse 16, holding fast to the word. Look at that, verse 16. Holding fast the word of life, so that... In the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. If you want to pursue this path of joy, if you want your life to be a sustainable sacrifice of being poured out, then you have to hold tightly to God's word. You have to hold fast to the gospel, Paul says here, verse 15. You really don't have another choice. Nothing else has the power to sustain you through all the self-sacrifice required in the pursuit of joy. You have to hold tight to the word because you simply won't make it otherwise. If you let go of this truth, you let go of the gospel, you are not going to make it. You can't continue to pour yourself out. There's nothing to continue to pour out. So receive this, verse 15, both as a warning and as an encouragement. The warning here is this. If you begin to let go of the gospel word, if you begin to abandon your confidence in biblical truth, thinking you know better than God, then you are bound to falter. And stumble in your pursuit of joy. It's going to happen. It has to happen. Because you are letting go of the fuel that sustains the fire. You're setting off on a long journey and refusing to refill the gas tank anywhere along the way. You're neglecting what it takes to sustain a life poured out. When you swerve away from the road less traveled in favor of the broad path that everyone else is on, thinking like everyone else thinks. That may feel easier at first, 
but it ends in disaster and destruction. To paraphrase the Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to people, but in the end, it gets us all killed. That's it. That's the broad way. To let go of the scripture is to let go of the warning signs, God's warning signs along the road. To think that we know better than God who made us the pathway to human flourishing. God knows it, right? He knows best. He designed us. He knows how we will flourish. When we let go of our confidence in the word of life, God is kind to evaporate the joy out of our lives. It's his warning that we have been deceived, that we've gone down the wrong path, that we've turned away from living water to broken cisterns that can hold no water, that we're abandoning that which really satisfies. That's the warning in verse 15. Now here's the encouragement. Christian, you have all that you need. You have what you need. You have all that you need to sustain a life poured out in the pursuit of joy in Jesus by holding fast to the word of life. You've got it. In the word of life, in the gospel word, God has given you the widow's jar filled with oil. You pour yourself out, but the oil doesn't run dry. There's always more in the gospel, more oil to sustain you, more fuel for the fire. Remember, the gospel word is something into which angels long to look. You're not going to exhaust it in your lifetime. Angels are still peering into this wonderful mystery of God come in flesh, one of us dying for us. You'll never exhaust the gospel's power to motivate a worshipful pouring out of your life. Even on your last day, that very last jar, that last vessel, there will still be enough oil left to pour out your life through being motivated by this gospel word. So, treasure it. Treasure it. Treasure this word. Hold fast to it. Don't let the world shame or bully or trick you into letting go of your birthright as a citizen of heaven. God has spoken to you. He's spoken true and good words. Hold tightly to them. Remember, he said, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. This is the road less traveled. It is less traveled because it involves taking up a cross and following after Jesus. It involves a life poured out in worship and service, not a life of grasping all that we can get. This road calls you to hard work with a pride-killing reliance upon God, controlling your tongue, contrasting with the world, all while holding fast to the word. This is what a life poured out looks like. 
For most, it is the road not taken. But for those who take the road less traveled by, it does, in the end, make all the difference. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would set our feet this morning upon the path of joy. And may we realize, contrary to what we expected, this path is not through grasping and pulling all we can in to consume. It is through following Jesus and pouring ourselves out for him. Lord, he is the unending stream of fuel for the fire, of motivation for us to give of ourselves as we see a Savior who has given of himself. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning at that crossroad between the broad path and the narrow one that leads to life and joy, Lord, I pray that they would see Christ that they would see in him this morning all their heart has wanted and so much more. Lord, may we take up our cross. May we die to self in following a Savior who has died for us. May that be the heart's response of every person here. May we hear Jesus call to us and may we say the yes in our hearts. Yes, Jesus, I come. Out of my sorrow, out of my sickness, out of my night, I come to you. May that be our heart's response as we stand together this morning and sing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.